<laughs> Y'all know what it is. Hey everyone and welcome back to Eggs. Today's special guest is Ken Unger. Ken is the president and founder of Charge, a company focused on unlocking the power of sponsorships to enhance the brands and grow the businesses of the C-suite, sales workforce, and nonprofit space alike. Ken's clients and collaborators have included Honda, the Los Angeles Dodgers, Coca-Cola, Disney, and more, in addition to 50-plus professional athletes in the NFL, NASCAR, and IndyCar. Joining us today to talk about how companies can cut through the cluttered, oversaturated business marketing landscape, the most important factors to consider when choosing a corporate sponsor, how sponsorships play a role in enhancing the fan experience in sports, art, and community events, and so much more. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Ken Unger. Hey, Ken, how are you, man? Good, Ryan. How are you? Oh, super good. And actually, uh, for people just tuning in, uh, I had a moment to talk with Ken right before the show. If you've been listening these last 10 weeks, it's been a little different around here. We, we've been playing a lot of older episodes, what we're calling eggs classics. And uh, so I am thrilled to death to be doing a live interview again. <laughs> so thank you so much, Ken, for coming on. You're actually the hey, it's great first to be here. guy of 22. <laughs> Happy to be here, Ryan. Thank you. Cool. Well, hey, do you mind if we just sort of start at the beginning? Would you mind laying out sort of who you are, what you do, and, and I guess what we're doing here? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Ken Unger. I'm the president of Charge. We are a sponsorship consulting firm. We're based in Indianapolis, but uh, we have clients all over North America. And essentially what we do is we help sponsors and properties um, get the most out of sponsorship. How do they solve their business problems through the marketing platform of sponsorship? So we coach, we teach, uh, we guide, and we uh, we share our expertise so that uh, businesses can make the most of this uh, great marketing platform. I love that. Well, and I think it's one of those things that you know the the concept of sponsorship. And I and I'll admittedly, you know, I'll just say I have kind of a naive approach, so I may not be totally encompassing the whole thing. But in my mind, I think when we are talking about sponsorship, it's a lot of times, you know, uh, partnering with a company to maybe amplify, you know, a marketing message or something like that. And I think for a lot of people in our audience, especially small business owners and people like that who are maybe either just getting started or maybe a little further down the road, I think this conversation will be really valuable. Yeah, you know, because people think that sponsorship sometimes is just for the large organizations or for large sports, but sponsorship happens at every level, um, in every region, in every locale. So it doesn't really matter what size your organization is, for-profit, not-for-profit, um, sponsorship is, is something that you could take advantage of as a business owner. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, and so maybe let's talk about some of the virtues of doing this, right? I mean, why would we choose sponsorship as a I guess, a, a marketing channel in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and there are a few reasons. You know, sponsorship at its core is a co-promotional relationship because both the sponsor and the entity being sponsored, and we, we often call them the property. So the sponsor and the property are both promoting each other. So that's the first difference. So if you're advertising, say, on the evening news, you might run your commercial uh, between news segments, but the newscast is not promoting you. Really, it's just you speaking through the commercial to the audience. And another thing, if someone else is promoting you, if a, if a property is promoting a sponsor, that's also more credible than just a straight-up advertisement. Because in an advertisement, you're saying, hey, my product is great, buy it. Um, but if someone else is saying, hey, Ryan's product is really great, you should buy it. 
that's a lot more credibility. So in sponsorships, it, it tends to be pretty effective because there's that, that third party validation that goes on um, as part of the process. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and so there may be a good question or a good place to start is sort of like how and when to actually approach a sponsor or when do I know I need one? So, I mean, we've seen versions of this, right? Where, I don't know, you're putting together a community event and you go to your local businesses and ask them to contribute money or, or resources or whatever. And, you know, to your point about sort of third party, uh, you know, recognition of what you're doing, you know, that does sort of lend credibility to your event, for example, right? If you have a bunch of local businesses backing you, well, then, you know, it seems like, okay, maybe we can trust you. And so, but if you're a small business owner, like how and when is the time? Yeah, exactly. That, uh, to your last point, that, that's really impactful. So if, if you're a community event and you have the largest bank in the region, that's a sponsor of, of your event, like it matters who you stand on stage with, right? So it's, it tells your audience that, hey, they, they must, this event must be a big deal because that largest bank in the region um, is a sponsor. So essentially, you know, it's time when a couple of things happen. One, you have to have really great marketing and a strong brand to begin with. And again, it doesn't matter what size you are, but you really have to, you know, cross, you know, all the T's and dot all the I's in terms of your marketing because your sponsor is looking to use you to market themselves, right? To to share their message with their future customer base through you. So your marketing has to be really great and you have to have a strong brand. So if you don't have either of those, um, it's not time for you to have a sponsor probably. Um, and then the second thing is you really got to know your audience. So if you, in the, in the example that you gave, if you're a community event, you have to know um, who, who is the audience attending? What's, what's their demographic? So what age are they? What gender are they? Where do they live? Um, all those types of things, as well as kind of what we call their psychographics or their habits um, what do they like? Do they do they like to um, to go camping in their off time? All those different things. You have to really know your audience because you get to share that with a sponsor because the sponsor is looking for its customers in your audience. So again, if you're a community event and you don't know who's showing up to your event, you're going to have a tough time attracting a sponsor. And then the the final thing is when you're looking for a sponsor and you approach them. You want to know what problem that that sponsor is trying to solve because they're using their marketing money through sponsorship to solve some problem. So are they trying to solve more, sell more product? Are they trying to improve the, you know, the, the appearance of their brand or, or something like that? You have to know what they're trying to solve. So you, as that community event, that property knows how to solve it through sponsorship. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful because I think, you know, back to the example of the kid, you know, running a local event or something, you know, I think there's a little bit of, you know, maybe a charitable aspect to that where somebody is just saying, okay, I want to contribute to this community event or support this kid or, you know, whatever it is. But the, at the point they're doing it with the motivation of, hey, I'm trying to drive new business, you know, and maybe even in some of these charitable cases, they are, um, you know, if it is the local bank or whatever, you know, they may be trying to appeal to the parents of this child or, you know, the people around the, the community. So I guess there's a charitable aspect of it. But at the same time, there's definitely a profit motive. And I think that that's really important to call out this idea that, you know, it's not just about giving you money because we believe in your cause. We are actually trying to identify our people in your, you know, event or your your product. Yeah, that's a, and that's a really important point. Right. And we see that in not for profit 
um, corporate sponsorship. So there's a clear distinction between donation and sponsorship, right? So the feel good or donation aspect of sponsorship really doesn't make it a sponsorship. It makes it a donation where, you know, a company may not be looking for recognition. They're just doing good for good sake. Um, in a sponsorship, they are looking, and in the example that you gave, they're looking to to attract the parent of the kid who's, who's attending that event as a future client of that bank or a future customer. That's what the sponsorship is. It's It can be a feel good, but it's not meant to be. That's that's a donation. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, to your point, I think that is a great distinction because it's, you know, I think really easy for people to think small about these things. But, you know, if you are maybe doing a product launch or something, you see these things all the time where they're, you know, they partner with so-and-so, you know, it's uh, one I saw just the other day, it was a Gucci Xbox, right? So you've got this $10,000 Xbox, you know, that ostensibly does the same thing as the $500 Xbox, but it's in a really cool Gucci box. I got to look that up after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, but, you know, but that sort of thing. And the idea is, hey, we're trying to amplify both brands at the same time. You know, we're both investing in this financially and we're going to hopefully you know, yield fruit from this thing. We're not just doing it for the sake. And yeah. So, and you raise Exactly. You raise a great point though. And it's sort of like product launches are the perfect, um, you know, place to use a sponsorship. And if you're looking for a sponsor, um, look for sponsors who have product launches like that, because they're often looking for platforms just like the one you described. Okay. Um, so let's kind of flip it around and look at it from the other direction. So what is a sponsor looking for in a sponsee, or as you call them, a property? You know, when when your sponsor is now looking for somebody, instead of being approached by the individual who has the business, has the company, has the product, you know, instead you're the professional athlete and you're looking for opportunities, you know, what is it that they're looking for in an opportunity? Yeah. So number one is audience. So it's the same thing flipped, right? If if you're selling a sponsorship, you have to know your audience. But with sponsors, buying an audience, you know, if they're if they're really business that knows what they're doing and kind of you know is hitting hitting on all cylinders, they know their customer in fine detail, right? They know who they are, where they live, um, where to find them, and they they tailor their marketing and sales to that. So what they're looking for in a sponsorship is a property that matches that customer base to a T because they're really looking to use the property um, as a way to access that new customer base. So if there is an alignment between the sponsor's customers and the property's audience, bad sponsorship, really bad sponsorship. And, And it won't work. It won't for the sponsor. It'll be just a waste of money. So this, the sponsor kind of starts out, where can I find my customers? Where do they hang out? So if they hang out at baseball games, I'm going to sponsor AAA baseball or Little League or Major League Baseball. Um, if they go camping, you know, I'm going to, you know, you know, find organizations that that organize camping outings, that type of thing. Okay. So what do you, can you talk a little bit about maybe sort of the differences in working with like, I guess, a company, you know, I'm thinking of like a Coca-Cola or somebody versus working with like a professional athlete, for example. I imagine that there's maybe some some differences just given sort of the nature of, you know, you're working with a human being versus working with a brand. I mean, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, that's a great point. And the distinction's um, pretty strong, right? So Coca-Cola has two brands, right? They have their, their corporate brand, but they also have the brand of each soda, different soda that they sell, Diet Coke, Coke Zero. And, and those brands are pretty tangible, right? You You know how Coke tastes and you know what the can looks like and all those different things. But an athlete, um, their brand is their personal brand. 
and that's a lot more squishy, right? So it's it's really kind of, it, it changes depending on their behavior because brands are about behavior. So when we work with professional athletes, uh, we say, listen, before you want to sell endorsements and sponsorship, you've got to get your you know personal brand straight. Who are you? What do you stand for? And more than that, people have to know it, right? So uh, whether it's through social media, and I'd have to say, just pause to say, like, there's never been a better time from an athlete perspective to kind of build your brand because you have all these tools, you know, digital, social media, all of that, that are, that are at your fingertips and they're either free or relatively cheap. And so, um, but you have to build your brand, right? Who are you and what you stand for? And then they go out and sell endorsement because a lot of the times they're out there selling and they don't, re- they don't understand like, Hey, I'm great on the field or I'm great on the court. Why am I not selling, you know, more sponsorship? And it's often because their brand isn't strong, right? They're a great athlete, you know, in the field of competition, but off the field, no one knows them. Right. So I don't know if this is exactly your expertise, so you can tell me, you know, to, to pack sand if it's not, but um, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about this idea of personal, uh, your personal branding, basically, we're, we're sort of in an environment and in the frame of the professional athlete, like you just mentioned, there's more channels than ever to go out and develop a personal brand, right? I mean, you've got your YouTubes and your TikToks and all these different things that you can do nowadays that maybe didn't exist a couple generations ago. But so if let's say you're a small business owner and you don't necessarily have, you know, the weight of a, an enormous brand, you're really just kind of getting going. Maybe you've got some momentum. Do you have any pointers or like things that a small business owner could do to sort of ramp up their personal brand to become more attractive to a sponsor? Yeah, I think the, the two things that, that I would do is, as and, I, and, and Ryan, I am a small business owner, so, <laughs> so I, I can really relate to that question. But the first thing is you have to first identify what your brand is, like who you are and what you stand for. Because often I see businesses go out and just start marketing, like just start social media and just throw stuff up because they think it's, quote, easy, unquote. But really, they got to nail their brand in terms of who who are they and what do they stand for? And what's the value proposition that you want the consumer to really identify with? Anyone can do that, right? Small, medium, large business, but start with your start with your brand. And then secondly, it's really dedicated to marketing. And whether it's social media or the web or, um, you know, in the case of small business, there's still businesses that, that use direct mail effectively or other, you know, kind of more traditional marketing things, but dedicate to marketing. Um, I see businesses there, like if you're a landscaping company, they are so focused on being excellent at landscaping that they suck at marketing. And they don't realize that like the key, the key part of attracting more landscaping clients is being great at marketing. So know your brand and create, create this, you know, kind of network of cost-effective marketing around it and do it. Don't, don't let it don't let it slide to the bottom of the to-do list. Really be active. So those are those two things. And that's not a cost issue for the most part. And so um, it's a time and effort uh, for sure. But those who don't give um, adequate you know, priority to it are the businesses that are less successful than the competitors that do. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that there's something that you sort of touched on there that I just sort of wanted to hit with the highlighter 
which is that for a lot of people, you know, especially small business owners, a lot of people went in and started their business because they had a trade, right? So you, the example you used was landscaping. And so, you know, in the event you opened a landscaping business because you happen to be good at landscaping or you, you, that's a passion of yours or you love it or whatever, those people, to your point, aren't necessarily marketers, right? They didn't start the business with the foundation. And I can even speak from my own experience in my business. I run a advertising agency, but the advertising agency was started because I was already a designer and it was already my trade. And then after being laid off, it just made sense to keep going, you know? And so, uh, so even in my own respect, you know, I, I understand sort of, I guess, the plight that so many people get into. And so, you know, as you mature as a business leader, I guess you start to develop the skills of marketing or you hire accordingly. And, uh, and so, and then at that point is, I guess, what you're saying is, you know, by then you should have some idea of who you are, what you stand for, all that sort of stuff. And then you're maybe a little better prepared to start seeking out sponsorship. Yeah, you are spot on with that observation. And, you know, I've been in various peer groups with other um, business owners and I hear them complain about, well, I am an X, I'm not a marketer. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, suck it up, right? You decided to start a bit, you own a business you either become a great marketer because you have to, or you find them, you hire them. You know, you hire them in-house, you hire an agency, you do whatever you can, but it's like, hey, tough luck. With a business, we have to market, sell, we have to keep books, right? We got to pay taxes, we got to do all these things, right? Even though that's not what we're trained to do, right? So it's just, it comes with the territory. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But what I, what I like about this uh, conversation too, is that so there's a, a guiding principle that, that was given to me that as something that you use, which is this idea of leaving your clients better than you found them. And I think that that concept, I mean, it's sort of a golden rule kind of derivative, right? I mean, obviously we're trying to do good for the people we're doing work for, but what I like about it, or I think how I'm applying it to what we're talking about right now is sort of this idea or this concept of skin in the game, right? Before I'm going to come to you as a sponsor or you to, you know, give money to my event or to back my project you know, I'm going to make sure that I've done the due diligence first. I'm going to make sure that I'm prepared to actually accept you and, and you know, I guess, respect your time and respect your, your investment. And, uh, and so this idea of leaving people better than you found them, I think could put the onus on the, on the business owner to really hulk up and make sure that you're overprepared by the time you actually reach out to somebody, thus sort of serving both parties well. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that is a, it's a personal guiding principle um, as well as, you know, a business one, because we exchange value, right? As, as so for example, you know, we're in the consulting side and, and we provide consulting service, we get paid. But if that service, if, the, if that recommendation doesn't help the business, if they're not better off in terms of more sales, better brand, whatever, um, we, haven't, we, we haven't fulfilled our, you know, our obligation, our bargain um, that we have to do. So, Whatever, whatever it takes, I don't really care what I sign up for with a client. Uh, I, have to, I have to ensure that they are better uh, when I leave them than when I found them. Because um, it's about our personal brand and, and my personal brand. So that's really important to me. Well, and I suspect, you know, just like in any kind of relationship, I mean, you have too many of these that don't go that way. Then, uh, you know, you'll probably find yourself out of business or, you know, you'll find that, you know, some companies are maybe a little less willing to buy off on your next client. Right, exactly. And so when I tell people, especially who are selling sponsorship, um, and, and that includes smaller organizations, that you have to be ready to follow through on the promises you made in the sponsorship and designate at least one person in your team, at least one. So if you have a one-person shop, that's you. If you have a three-person shop, pick one. 
who is going to fulfill the promises of the sponsorship. Because once the sponsor cuts that check and you get that check in the mail, there's this little happy dance you get when you, when you get, when you've sold the sponsorship and, and you get your check, but that's only the beginning, not the end. And so the spot, if the sponsor hasn't solved their problem, you haven't done your job. So who is that one person in your organization that will ensure that the sponsor solves their problem? Okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, so I wonder, I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I guess, I don't know how, how better to frame this other than maybe just like pro, uh, uh, prospecting. So, you know, you mentioned earlier that one of the, the key factors in like a sponsor coming along or you in, encouraging, you know, or getting a sponsor is, you know, the audience that you have, you know, and typically, or at least in my mind, when you say audience, I'm thinking volume, I'm thinking, you know, demographic, psychographic, that kind of thing. But it's, you know, it's how many people can I hit, right? The idea is we're amplifying our, our, our message here. So, right. but what if you have done the due diligence to manage your personal brand? What if you have, you know, you know who you are and what you stand for, all these things that we've sort of been going through, um, but you haven't yet got to a point where you've got much of an audience. Are there other tools or other things or, you know, other things of value to a a prospective sponsor that they could find value in that might, you know, I I don't have 10 million followers, but I have a thousand truly dedicated followers. Like, I mean, is there, is there other incentives for, uh, for sponsors besides just strictly, you know, a massive audience, for example? No, probably not. So, um, here, here's that dynamic. So if that if that property is just starting out, they're looking to sell sponsorship, they don't have a big audience, they don't have really a lot um, to show for their track record, and they don't have a strong brand. So putting yourself in the sponsor shoes, what do they have to offer? You know, I'm a sponsor that's looking, I need to sell more product. Like if I'm a beer company, I got to move cases of beer you know, every quarter with all the supermarkets or the, or the liquor stores that I sell through. Um, and if that sponsor, if that property has an audience that's small or, or they're not really engaged or they're not going to provide much value, you know, how are they going to buy enough product to justify whatever check that I cut to you as a sponsor? The flip side is, is that sometimes those sponsors who are new Sponsors who don't have much of an audience can be of value to a property because they can often they can often um, donate product, right? They could there might be a product if you, if you're an event and it's a new waste management company, but you need you know your you know trash removed from the event site, it might be worthwhile for you to trade like do an in kind trade for sponsorship. We'll give you a sponsorship position. You're the official waste management company of our event. And you haul away our trash for free. Um, so new sponsors, potentially, yes, but new properties, eh, not very often. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. And, you know, as you're tell- giving these examples, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, uh, Mike, who is not here, but Mike and I used to do a lot of concert promotion together. And, uh, you know, so we were constantly working with companies like this, right? Uh, energy drink sponsors and people like that who would provide a bunch of free product for the, for the musical acts, you know, so the band would be drinking their product on stage, for example, in exchange for basically just product, right? It was product instead of cash. And right. so, um, you know, and some sometimes there was some a little blending or whatever. But the the point or what I, I think I wanted to try and get to from this question or to form a question around this thought was, um, you know, 
is there, I guess, sort of a, a gradient here, right? I mean, not every sponsor is Nike or Coca-Cola or, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, there's got to be a lot of gray area in the middle. So, you know, before I was asking about sort of audience size and how that relates to getting a sponsor in the first place. But I mean, if I've got a small audience and they're a small sponsor, is it really more just sort of about balance that we can sort of, I'm giving you value, you're giving me value versus sort of a, you know, Nike coming and sponsoring my, you know, neighborhood turkey shoot or something? (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So if you balance the value on both sides, right, it can be, you know, small, small audience for the property, small sponsor, you just make where you, where you calibrate that is what that we call it a rights fee. It's how much money the sponsor pays to the property that comes down, right? It's just, it's all calibrated to the size. So you don't have to have Nike be your sponsor. You can have a much smaller, newer, you know, athletic equipment company or a licensed brand come in that's really small. But if you're really small, then the rights fee will be really small, but that's okay, right? Because the value works on both sides and because like these don't have to be million dollar deals, they could be thousand dollar deals, and that's just fine, right? But it's just got you just got to make that you got to make that fee work on both sides, and you got to make the promotion work on both sides. But that's where that's where it isn't one size fits all. It's it's every size can be accommodated. Yeah, I like that because I think you know, and maybe it's you know me projecting my own feelings here, but you know, I imagine for a lot of small business owners, they go, oh. Well, I can't dump a million dollars into Tom Brady's new clothing company or whatever. Like, you know, it's got to be, right. you know, but the this idea that, oh, okay, well, but maybe there's a, a neighborhood shop that would be, you know, up for this, or maybe, you know, maybe it is a national brand still, but it's, uh, you know, somebody who's more accessible to you. So I think that, uh, you know, discussing this range, I think is useful for people. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're, we're a relatively small business. So if I'm, if, if my company is going to sponsor things, I'm probably going to do things locally because the size of that is smaller or I might, or I might target it really specifically. So my company might sponsor a convention of sponsorship consultants <laughs> so, because th- that might be a good target market for us. So um, that's, uh, those are the types of things, how you calibrate the, um, those deals down. Yeah. Well, and so maybe that actually raises a good point. Um, What about sort of, I guess, self-sponsorship, right? So a lot of our own conversation or a lot of this conversation so far has been this idea of connecting two entities together to promote one, you know, particular thing, a product, a service or whatever. And, um, but what about a version of this where you do it yourself, you know? So just like you described your small business hosting an event for other businesses like your business, I mean, when would you, or do you have any thoughts around, you know, doing that as a, I guess, as a foray into sponsorship, in which case we might be back to our little uh, neighborhood park where right, we could actually ask, you know, community businesses to contribute, um, you know, even though we're sort of the title sponsor. Yeah. So, I mean, you can convert yourself into a, into a, a property fairly easily. The, the question is, what audience do you have? So, you know, if you're a business and you want to be sponsored, the question is, who do you reach? What's your audience? So it could be um, like I see I see businesses doing this by monetizing um, their social media audience or their email marketing list. So a lot of times, you know, um, what we've seen probably in the last five years is this explosion of inbound marketing um, and inbound marketing companies that that kind of specialize in connecting businesses to their customers through email. Well, what happens is over time, 
you can develop a business can develop a list of thousands and thousands of customers, right? As long as there's permission to market to them, um, you can gain a sponsor by um, really kind of monetizing that 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 email list. Again, you got to do it appropriately, and you have to do it with permission because you know people don't want their name and email address sold willy nilly. You have you know a user agreement um, to kind of regulate that. But still, those are the types of things that me as a business can do if if I have an audience, right? So it all started, I mentioned at the top top of our chat, Ryan, is that it's all about audience. So if you got it, you got something to sell. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, I wonder, so I think we've done a pretty decent job of sort of explaining, you know, what sponsorship looks like and, and how, you know, maybe some of the hows and the whys we might use it or what, you know, how we could, I guess, engage or prepare ourselves to engage with a, spo- a potential sponsor. But do you have some, I mean, you've been at this a long time. Do you, do you mind sharing any examples that you've got of sort of like how this worked out well, or maybe how it totally flopped just as you know, <laughs> a for us to avoid these kind of problems in the future? Yeah. Um, on, on the well side, there've been some in my career that have turned out really well. One, one that comes to mind is um, a company that sells private jets. Um, and it's really a really small market, right? Private jets, they're kind of, you know, 4 million plus plus, you know, all the way to tens of billions of dollars. So how do you reach the audience of people who are in the market to, to, uh, to buy private jets? Well, this particular company, the answer was, we need to be in auto racing. And the reason is their customers are in auto racing because virtually every team has to move around um, the country and sometime between countries at will, right? They can't rely on the airlines. And drivers um, who are, in many cases, very highly compensated celebrities also don't want to travel on on airlines. They want to do private, um, they want to fly by private jets. So this company sponsored um, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar series um, and really got access to both the team owners and the drivers um, who then purchased jets because part of sponsorship is access, right? So so in the end, uh, this company sold so many jets through this process that they had a 32 to 1 return on investment. So for every million dollars they spent on the sponsorship, they got back 32 million um, in jets that they sold. So that's, that's often like access and then kind of borrowing the image of the property, right? That's why I talked about brands are really important. So just to, to segue just for a second, um, if I'm a baseball f- fan and I love the Chicago Cubs, right? A sponsor of the Chicago Cubs, right? I, as a Cubs fan, I'm going to love that sponsor because they sponsor the Cubs. And, and that's called image transfer, um, and really kind of that's one of the strengths of sponsorship is the sponsor is put in a higher pedestal, like they're perceived to be better because of their affiliation with, you know, an event or a team that you love as a fan. So like, that's the reason that all those sponsorships work. And, and the one I, I like to point to is that, um, that private jet sponsorship where they did so well with that auto racing sponsorship. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Well, and and maybe to sort of keep this conversation going, um, can you talk about sort of the role that these sponsorships play in not just enhancing sort of that, you know, the the business angle, but actually enhancing the fan experience? So, I mean, I think, you know, 
probably you've, you've sort of touched this a little bit, which is that, you know, I, I don't know, maybe you get a free t-shirt. So you, you know, start to like this brand or whatever, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of how the sponsorship is then transferred even further to the fan experience? Yeah, great question. And so, you know, part of that, part of the sponsorship process, if you're a sponsor is you've agreed to sponsor, let's just say, let's, let's keep on the baseball team example. You've agreed to sponsor a baseball team. Um, after you do that, there's this process called leveraging the sponsorship or activating the sponsorship. It's sometimes called, but you can't just sit on the sponsorship because fans look out, you know, in the case of a, of a baseball game, they're looking out in the outfield and they might see your logo there on the outfield fence. And they're wondering, you know, why is Ryan's company a sponsor of this? Well, if there isn't a real reason, if it isn't, you know, a reason that authentically flows from like, you know, the nature of Ryan's company, that actually has blowback, right? It's actually a negative for that sponsor. So they have to not only be there, they have to show up and activate and leverage around it. So what do they do to leverage it? Well, the the best way to leverage a sponsorship is to enhance the fan experience because not only are you there, you're clearly creating a reason in the fan's mind that I'm there to make your viewing experience better. I'm there to make, you know, your, your parking experience better. I'm there to help, you know, I'm providing free Wi-Fi so that you can stay connected, you know, on your phone during the game and pull down stats about the game or all those different things. So I, as a sponsor, uh, I'm, I'm not only showing up, but I'm there to make your experience better. And what happens is, is fans naturally show gratitude to that. And the way they show gratitude, it's like, yeah, I remember that Ryan's company provided Wi-Fi at that event. So when they go back home, they're looking up Ryan's company on the internet. They might, you know, seek out the products that Ryan's making and do all those things to show their gratitude for a great experience that they had in an event. So that's that virtuous circle of a sponsorship where it kind of all works, but you can't just, you know, be there. You have to show up and do something of value to really make your sponsorship effective. Okay. Well, and I, I think that makes sense, right? Because I mean, there's such a thing as just throwing money at something. And I think, you know, the word you use that that's accurate here is I think authenticity, right? So, I mean, if you're just, I don't know, looking for a tax deduction, <laughs> say you threw some money at this thing right. that you don't care about, you have no relationship to, and you honestly don't care if there's any return at all. Um, you know, I think that sort of comes through, like people will be able to sort of sniff that out. You know, it's surprising how even just like a little flippant thing like that, like the example you used at the ballpark, you know, could actually do more harm than good. Yeah. Cause if, if it isn't authentic or there isn't a clear reason I'm looking, I, I'm spending like the entire game. So I'm three plus hours at a ballpark looking at like, why is that financial services, a, you know, company, a sponsor, that makes no sense. They didn't, they haven't spoken to me. They haven't explained why they're a baseball sponsor. That, that just, you know, that is oil and water. That just, you know, doesn't make sense. And so I'm less inclined to even trust that sponsor because they just showed up. It's almost like an advertisement, like a 30 second, you know, advertisement, you know, on primetime television. It's like, tune it out, right? It's so dissonant in my mind. Like I can't, as a consumer, make sense of it that click, I'll never think of that financial services company again if I think of them at all. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you know, to use your example, you know, seeing a financial planner's, you know, logo out on the field versus like, I don't know, Rawling or Louisville Slugger or something like, okay, well, all of a sudden this makes perfect sense. Of course, 
Rawlings is sponsoring this event, right? They want us to buy their gloves, right. or whatever, you know, so it makes perfect sense. But if you can't do the math, then it's difficult to make that connection in our mind. Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, one thing I wanted to get into. So we've spent a lot of this conversation sort of, I think, talking about sort of the for-profit world. But I wondered if you wouldn't mind talking about if there are any sort of nuances for the nonprofit world. So if you're a nonprofit uh, company and you're trying to engage with sponsorship, are there any you know, pitfalls in particular that we should be looking out for or things that we need to be aware of when looking for a sponsor for a nonprofit? Yeah. And I love the nonprofit sponsorship world. I, I see the trend lines uh, for nonprofits are going in the right direction and they've even accelerated as a result of the, the economics around the pandemic that we're experiencing um, that nonprofit corporate sponsorship is only going to increase in prevalence in the years ahead and so for a nonprofit thinking about sponsorship, there, there are two different ways to think about it. First, they should either think about it like a for-profit company, meaning that a not-for-profit has to solve the same business challenge uh, as, a, as a for-profit property, right? The sponsor of a nonprofit is looking to solve a business problem. If they're not looking to solve a business problem, that's a donation, <laughs> <laughs> so, and we see that and there's a lot of confusion, right? I, you know, and I'm on a nonprofit board. So even, you know, I see it in the nonprofit that, you know, that, that I work with directly. And so whether it's your charitable gala or a 5k run, if those companies that are sponsoring it are not looking for either, you know, recognition or co-promotion from the, um, from the, the uh, not-for-profit, that's not a sponsorship. It's a donation. So the first thing is, is think about it like a for-profit, meaning that the sponsor has a business problem. How as I, as a not-for-profit, can I solve it? And you can usually solve it through access to your audience. And I think that that's a really kind of key key issue is that know your audience, even as a nonprofit, because that's how, that's how you access um, uh, the sponsorship through a traditional sponsorship. The other thing, the other kind of sponsorship that nonprofits can think of are what I call purpose-driven sponsorships. Now, in this case, the company is looking for recognition for supporting your cause. So, and what we've seen kind of in the last, especially in the last 10 years, it's been called corporate social responsibility. It's been called social responsibility, conscious capitalism, all these different things where companies are, are looking to be not only to be known as to be good stewards of the environment, of social justice, of a variety of issues, but they want to participate, right? If, if they're a company that makes paper products, they want their products to be recycled and they want their products to be part of a circular economy. And so if that's the case, they want customers to know that that's what they do because customers value things like recycling and social justice and all that. And there's an interesting study where like 87% of consumers say they'll support a business that supports their values. So companies want to be known for that. Well, what better way to be known for, for example, supporting recycling than to sponsor a recycling not-for-profit? And so we call that purpose-driven sponsorship where that is the reason for the sponsorship. A lot of the other sponsorship things apply where you have, there has to be co-promotion. The not-for-profit has to promote the sponsor and the sponsor needs to promote the nonprofit. But um, that purpose-driven sponsorship, 
there is an increase in the prevalence of that that we've seen recently. And I think based on trend lines and corporate social responsibility, that's only going to increase over time. That, to me, is the biggest opportunity for nonprofits, because if they can access marketing budgets instead of donate corporate donation budgets, there is a tremendous chance that that nonprofit is going to um, increase the profile of their revenue and create more impact, right, to serve their mission and create more impact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's really interesting. And, you know, and I think it sort of speaks to maybe some of these, uh, I don't don't know what to call them, sort of alternative incentives for, you know, for sponsorship, you know, this idea that, you know, yes, of course, we still want to pull out of this, our exposure to an audience or whatever, but we're able to sort of espouse the values of our company or support a cause that's near and dear to our leadership or whatever it is. And that can be, you know, in part anyway, the, the reason for the sponsorship instead of just strictly a dollars and cents kind of equation. Yeah, exactly. And I can tell you from experience that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, um, there was a lot of lip service on the corporate side given to this. Um, It was seen as kind of a check the box exercise. And so you'd have a corporate sponsor, you know, corporate social responsibility policy, and it would sit in the shelf and, you know, all the executives offices, but not anymore. Right. It is it is off the shelf, on the desk, activated through, you know, strategic plans. And again, because of that trend, um, if you're a not for profit in nonprofit and you're not actively seeking that area of sponsorship, you are missing out big time. Yeah, I think that's totally accurate. I mean, you certainly see it in companies these days. And, you know, maybe the cynic in me, just that I work in advertising, you know, I see enough of these that I go, oh, well, you know, I, I bet they're saying this and doing something else. But to that point, I think there are plenty of companies, especially new companies, young companies that have maybe, you know, leadership that is sort of more in tune with these sort of, you know, social problems or environmental problems, things like that, that they're trying to, you know, work with that now those things are becoming fundamental. It's not just these guys who are working for their stakeholders, rather there is this fundamental shift in, you know, value of what's actually important to these uh, people who are now leading these companies. And so I think, you know, to your point, you're starting to see it for reals now. Oh yeah, no, no, I completely agree. And it's kind of, you know, those companies that when you saw that and it was cringeworthy kind of, you know, years ago, um, if they don't walk the walk, you know, after talking the talk, like, you know, millennials and Gen Z will crush them, right? There is so much social responsibility baked into kind of the, the makeup of, of younger generations that um, you'll be crushed as a business um, if you're seen to not walk the walk, truly. Yeah, fair enough. Well, so as we're starting to get to the end here, I actually probably did this in kind of a reverse order. But as I was reading through your bio, I, I mean, you've got this really colorful background. And I wondered if you could <laughs> talk a little bit That's about one your word for it. And maybe if you sort of got into this line of work. You know, for a lot of people who listen to the show, especially younger people, people who are sort of entrepreneurial, but maybe being held up by fear or they're not sure they have the right training to do the thing they actually want to do or whatever, you know, these kinds of roadblocks that people put in their own way. I think your story might be kind of an interesting one to just kind of walk through as, you know, a for fun exercise, just to sort of show people, you know, that there isn't a straight road. Yeah. My, uh, my dad used to say that I couldn't hold a job very long. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, I think this is a, when I look back at kind of the trend line of my career, I think of, you know, advice that I was given very early on and the advice was that I, that I was given was be the best at what you're passionate about. And if you do that, 
if you try to be the best at what you're passionate about, opportunity kind of finds you. Um, because I used to think and 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 kind of, you know, my the the people that I grew up with all thought that we had to plan our careers. Um, and that was the furthest thing that actually happened to me. So I I started out, you know, I went to college and, and I went to law school. And then fresh out of law school, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and I did corporate and litigation work. And I found that I really, I was pretty good at it, but I didn't really relate to it. But again, through through that, through the, you know, that I was really good at doing things I was passionate about. And one of the things I was passionate about was volunteering for political campaigns kind of in the evening, because I always loved politics. My degree in college was political science. But through that, I met people um, who ended up working in the governor's office um, in Indiana. And so next thing I know, I was offered a position to join the governor's office. And so I, I went from law and I didn't seek it out. It sought me out. Um, I went from law to government. And through government, I found that I really love um, operations and kind of the business side of government, of strategy and planning and service and, you know, serving people. And I was serving taxpayers in state government, but I really loved that. Um, and I was learning communications because one of the prime things about government was communications. Um, that came to an end because my governor was term limited. And so I, through my law practice, I had met the owner of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, and so he was looking for someone to, to help him run his business the same way that I helped the governor run state government. And so I make this segue. And again, it sought me out, right? The, I didn't really, it, I didn't plan to go into sports, but it, that started my career in sports business, which became a career in sports marketing. And again, the opportunities that came from that were just me being open to opportunity, but again, having this reputation as crushing the assignments and the projects that I was given through a lot of hard work and, you know, study and trying to, you know, perfect my craft. But again, no one, I don't think anyone's going to plan a career in 2022. Um, I think though, you know, you know, and, and I look back and now I'm a sponsorship consultant and I started off as a lawyer, um, which is crazy, but if you're passionate about it and that shows in the quality of what you do and you're open to opportunity and you network and you talk to people and you volunteer, I think volunteering is so important to give of your time for free. If you give, 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 you'll find you'll get naturally. You don't have to seek to get, it'll come to you. But um, that led me on really kind of an incredibly fun career. I mean, um, you know, government and auto racing and sports and baseball and all the different hockey and football and all the different things that I've done sponsorship um, all came from just being open to that. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's a great like sort of moral or maybe, you know, our, our uh, you know, thing that everybody should remember from this episode is this idea of being involved, you know, volunteerism, of course, I think is very critical and the people should do that. But this idea of being open to opportunity I think sometimes it's easy, you know, we, we discussed earlier the entrepreneur who started their business because they had a trade. And I think it's really easy to sort of get nose down in your career and then pull your head up one day at 50 and go, what the hell am I doing? Like, you know, there's all these things I wanted to do and I didn't do any of them. You know, these opportunities have come and gone and I didn't chase any of them. And, uh, you know, and I think that there's really something to that idea of just sort of being open and, and sort of just, I don't know, letting things flow a little bit. 
because I think, you know, especially, you know, I know a lot of people who are about my age, I just, I'll turn 42 next month. And so a lot of people about my age that I'm seeing that are, you know, switching careers altogether or who've been talking about it for 10 years and haven't done it yet, but they're going to one day <laughs> switch careers, you know? And I think so much of it is just that it's not being afraid. It's being open rather. And sort of just accepting that, you know, there is no plan. Like we're just going to do what we're going to do and, and we'll land where we'll land and just, you know, work hard and be open along the way. And, and it'll sort of always work out. Yeah. And, and, and that's a great point. And it's to be pretty fearless about it. Um, cause it really is about the experiences that you have and the people that you meet. So if you don't, the, there's this fearlessness to it. And again, I've had, I've been blessed with a lot of great mentors. So another thing is to seek out really good mentors, but another one of uh, them told me, you know, navigating a career is like walking on a tightrope. Don't look down because <laughs> people who look down fall. So um, my advice to anyone who's thinking about whether it's a job change or a career change, if you know in your heart, but yet you have fear, do it because there'll never be another opportunity. Again, it's the experiences that you've had and the people that you meet. And if you're not doing it, if you're not getting those in what you're doing now, you've got to make a change. I love it. I think that's a great message to wrap on. So Ken, let's, um, if you don't mind, just sort of letting people know where they can learn more about you and the work that you're doing over at Charge, how they can maybe engage with you should they want to maybe take their business to the next level through sponsorship marketing. Or if somebody, for example, has, you know, is interested in seeking out a property or something to sponsor themselves, you know, how could they get in touch with you and, and learn more? Absolutely. So if you're interested in learning more about sponsorship, we have a ton of free stuff on our website. It is chargesponsorship.com. And speaking of free stuff, we we have things that are tailored to a lot of people who are either buying or selling sponsorship, including not-for-profits. So if you go to charge sponsorship backslash free stuff, one word free stuff, there's all these downloads that, that you can have free of charge. Um, to help your audience, Ryan, if they do want to take their sponsorship to the next level, um, we're ready, willing, and able to provide the resource to help them do that. Uh, I love it. Well, thanks so much, Ken. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, it's been a great conversation. It was fun getting to know you. Thanks, Ryan. I appreciate the opportunity and take care. Absolutely. And thanks so much to everybody who tunes into the show this week and every week. And we'll see you all next time.